Welcome, everyone, to Decrypting AI, our weekly conversation here on X slash Twitter about artificial intelligence, machine learning, but other emerging technology, including quantum computing, longevity, life extension, space, anything that's basically paving the way to the future. And uh, I would say definitely on the artificial intelligence front, the news has been pretty overwhelming and constant for probably the last four days. And there's only really been one story, the story that's even been on the front page of the news that the muggles read and watch. What do you think, uh, Jason? Shall we start there? Uh, yeah, uh, I I don't think there's going to be a bigger story right now than all the uh, goings on at uh, OpenAI. So maybe we want to start there. Well, uh, it's hard to miss um, what was going on at the company that quite truly ignited the artificial intelligence hype cycle we are all drowning in when OpenAI released ChatGPT late last year and basically turned every industry, not just technology, on its head with the idea and accessibility of generative AI. And they were flying high. They were the folks to catch. They were the definition of the industry for many people and had $19 billion of investment from Microsoft and a very charismatic leader in the persona of Sam Altman. And just last week, Jason, we were talking about how their dev day, their demo day for their upcoming products and new products and services was just jam-packed with things that could even further cement their leadership in the space. So there was Sam Altman on stage talking about how great everything OpenAI is doing and um, what happened last Friday? Well, the board of the board at OpenAI decided out of, out of the blue to remove Sam Altman from his position as CEO. Uh, the reason they gave was that he wasn't being candid enough with them. And they basically just said, you're out. And that was it. So from what has gone around, they didn't give anyone any notice that they were going to do this, including their largest investor, Microsoft. Like they told Microsoft 30 minutes or so before they actually made the decision and Altman even less time than that. So everyone was blindsided. So he gets kicked out and then one of his co-founders, uh, forget his name, uh, Greg uh, something. Brockman. Yes, exactly. Um, he resigned too. And, you know, I was like, okay, if you guys want to do this, we're out. So when they resigned, you know, these two people, okay, fine. We still have all these other brilliant minds here. But then 90% of OpenAI's employees threatened to leave too if the board didn't resign or Altman wasn't reinstated, which to me was like, oh, <laughs> you know, that when we do our high, low, and uh oh, that's the uh oh of this situation. You you went after the king, and when you you assumed all of the followers would follow you, and they decided to follow the king instead. <laughs> you know, I'm hearing this likened to succession. This was Game of Thrones. This this this, this was very high level 
attack Game of Thrones. Well, nobody's head was literally removed. I, I, but I don't watch Succession, so I can't make that comparison. But, you know, even what you just summarized, and trust me, it's hard to summarize this. We probably sound like morons if, to anyone who's followed the story closely. But between that dismissal, which was a surprise to Greg Brockman, chairman of said board, who was not invited to the meeting where it happened, and he had to find out secondhand, and they, uh, you know, Sam Altman and Greg, uh, and the chairman completely blindsided by this. Between that and the the unification of the employees behind them, a lot happened even in that little window, including, of course, um, a great deal of, I guess we'll call it palace intrigue, um, very capably reported by um, our fellow peers in the technology space, behind the scenes conversations between be, be, with Microsoft. I thought it was really interesting that, you know, very quickly, Microsoft put out a uh, blog post saying, hey, everything's fine. We're totally into this company. All is good. Yet, at the same time, significant and well-sourced reports that they were very, very unhappy in the background and trying to figure out what to do. And I think the most interesting twist in all of this was that people were seeing the king of AI being um, basically decimated from the inside with the leadership gone, with the staff saying they're going to leave, and um, basically Microsoft saying, well, well, we'll take Sam Altman because even though we are invested heavily in the company, we like his leadership and what he has as a vision for AI, and this is Microsoft's opportunity to basically take the lead in the entire industry. Um, and yet, even when that was announced that he was going to Microsoft, it didn't happen. What? So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Where did this all end up? Where are we now, Jason? Okay. So Alvin has been reinstated as CEO of OpenAI, and uh, Greg is uh, uh, Greg is back as well. Uh, they're getting a new board of directors. Uh, they didn't say what happened to the other board of directors, or they all resigned, or whatever. But they're they're getting a new board, and it's business as usual apparently from from here on out. I my my take is Microsoft stepping in is what changed the course of this whole situation because you can't you can't have me invest thirteen billion or more into your company and then do something without telling me. That was a very big miscalculation by the board of directors. And I think that's what set all of this whole back and forth. Is he coming back? Is he not coming back? That's what set that in motion. Microsoft stepped in and everyone basically had to cover their heads. I'm really curious if Microsoft saying that they were going to take um, Sam Altman was actually a gambit, right? At first I was like, well, of course, I, if I were Microsoft, I would pick him up and everybody will pour their money into our projects. Um, but I would rather think that they basically wanted to call OpenAI's bluff and say, all right, well, if you don't want Sam, we'll take him just to get OpenAI to take him back. But it otherwise kind of makes Microsoft look bad. So I hope it was the plan from the beginning. Yes, they're getting a whole new board. No, nobody was decapitated in the Game of Thrones sense. But I, I guess one question is, what is the fallout of this? I mean, it is it was such a public collapse of the structure, the corporate governance of one of the hottest companies in all of technology. And it seems like it's a clown show. It seems like they couldn't find their um, anatomy with both hands. I mean, 
it's 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 just stunning how it all played out and i'm wondering if in this massive shuffle that basically ended up putting all of the pieces back where they were that the cracks are going to be significant enough to impact OpenAI's future. What do you think? Well, now that Altman's back, I, I'm i pretty sure we're going to see um, uh, that situation tamper down. You're not going to see as much confusion. Um, it, it, was, it was very shocking, um, the whole situation. Uh, including there was talk that OpenAI was approaching Anthropic to merge. I mean, that came out of nowhere. You're going to try to, it's like, it it was literally like, okay, so we're going to kick him out and then we're going to merge with our biggest competitor. Like what? (laughs) Well, I don't think the merger was an idea until the firestorm erupted after his dismissal. And at that point, whatever was left of open AI is like, how are we going to save this? If in fact, all of our engineers are leaving, our leadership is leaving, our staff and employees are leaving. Um, our best hope is the only other independent small player in this giant space that Microsoft, Google, and everyone else is getting into. Um, but that I, I am almost certain that that was just panic. I don't think that that was possibly going to, was going to happen. Now, Jason, I think one of the, as we continue to try to piece together what all of this meant, I think that a significant number of the amount of the reporting did basically point out that at the fundamental level, it was a debate between uh, what we've now come to call D cells (laughs) or, um, you know, I forget the other one, the EAs, the people who are, or, or doomers, people who are convinced that if you're not careful with AI, we're all going to end up destroying ourselves right. and people who want to put their foot on the gas even harder. And right. I think that actually was probably the best possible explanation and a, a meaningful one, because I think in even companies that uh, are doing AI, there's an internal split between let's move slow and steady and let's blow the doors off this thing and take over the world. Well, you also, okay, so decel is another oh my god new term that came out of the tech sector basically means deceleration so these are the people who are saying like with the open letter that elon and and c Wozniak and some other people signed uh back in march i want to say they these are the people who say okay we need to slow down think about this stuff we don't need to be going headlong into agi uh, artificial general intelligence and things like that and on the opposite end of that, you have the people who are just like, let's go. Let's get that singularity going. And so you had those two camps fighting it out within the same company. And that's one reason why you had this whole toss-up. It was basically a, a it was an ideological war, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah. And so the D cells lost, at least this round anyway. Well, it's, it's kind of an unfair fight also when you're dealing with, gee, $19 billion or more of private inve- uh, of investment into your company. Um, there's idealism and there's the raw force of capitalism. And so in some ways, I think it was uh, in that if you if you position that and if you believe that that was the core of this conflict, um, the outcome was probably preordained. It just happened to be particularly public and particularly dramatic. I think that uh, the other reason why this is key is that this exact debate is echoed all the way to the top highest levels of governments around the world. And um, the 
ever since people were making the comparisons to Oppenheimer and how he regretted creating this thing that ended up bringing great uh, destruction to the world, um, everybody's worried about that lesson. Even our friends, uh, and you know, this is for the drinking game for our our uh, Twitter spaces. Even the, our friends who made Terminator, you know, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. I don't know how old I am anymore. Um, so, I, and and for OpenAI, it was because it started as a nonprofit in twenty fifteen. It started as a the basic foundation of the company is we know that AI can be dangerous, so let's start an organization that is going to do it right. And well, this is how it all turned out. Well, and something Elon pointed out a while ago was how OpenAI was originally meant to be a basically open source, nonprofit type situation. And his concern around them getting in bed with Microsoft is that you're turning a nonprofit into a for-profit, which goes against the reason why you started in the first place. And that I think is where the, that is the root of the ideological issue. So people who wanted it to be open source and a nonprofit stuck around. And then once these new for-profit people started showing up, they started butting heads on the direction of the company. Well, again, I think it, uh, and all my, gosh, now I have to sneeze. It kind of comes down to the people who started the nonprofit were still in charge because the idealistic vision was that's how we're going to keep ourselves safe because even though we have a for-profit area, um, it'll still be under the control of the thoughtful and careful, mission-minded, human-first people. But again... Money talks, and unfortunately, that's not where it is. I, now that you mentioned the open source thing, I, I remember. I mean, guess what? The name of the company is OpenAI, and I think it's funny that the biggest player in open source, you know, artificial intelligence is 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 Facebook. Facebook is behind the biggest open source AI models out there, and they're the company that everyone identifies with being closed and proprietary. Right. And well, and then you also have Facebook. Facebook is actually doing, or okay, Meta, is actually doing a lot of interesting things, but they're still having the stigma of their social media antics and also that whole Cambridge Analytica thing. People haven't forgotten about that. So I think that's why people are giving whatever Facebook is trying, or Meta is trying to do, a wider berth because we already know you use our data for stuff that we don't really want you to be using it for. So we'll go over here. Problem is they all do it. You know, the, 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 you put your, that's why they tell you don't put personal information into your chat bot because it's being stored somewhere. And <laughs> so I, but saying all that, you're right. Meta is the one leading the charge for open source. Zuckerberg has been very open about that. What I think uh, has also came out of this, and there was some good reporting on this, was that OpenAI grew so fast and actually invested heavily in becoming an infrastructure play that OpenAI is built into technologies that under under um, right hundreds of other companies. Like uh, companies are using OpenAI's uh, infrastructure the same way companies use Amazon Web Services today. Uh, so the problem being is that when there's chaos at OpenAI, as there was, um, if your company is based on their technology, you're a little bit worried. And it comes down to the, the age-old question of building your sandcastle on someone else's beach. And I think that this was a good uh, 
near-death experience for a lot of people to say, what is our backup plan? You know, I mean, you were just doing a story two weeks ago about Russian hackers and bringing down or a denial, distributed denial of service attack on OpenAI and how um, people were having trouble accessing the service. There were Reddit threads of people and just panicking because the thing that they built that impressed their boss was suddenly not working because it was OpenAI on the background. I mean, uh, there is something to be said about models that you can run locally. And I think that we're going to see, just like in the crypto space, where the people say the way, the only safe way to work with this stuff is self-custody. I think being able to do these things on your own infrastructure is also going to become increasingly important after this whole mess. No, true. I, I think uh, I, I agree with that. I think you're going to see a, a shift towards local development. The problem with local development, and I, I, I bet our colleague Jose uh, could definitely speak to this, is that you don't have the same resources you would have in the cloud. So, you know, I could develop a, a ChatGPT clone on my own computer, sure, but I don't have the resources, the GPUs, and the uh, bandwidth necessary to make it very powerful. It might be able to do some of the stuff that OpenAI does, but it's not going to do that much. But at the same time, just like you mentioned with crypto, being cent uh, not being decentralized, being on individual computers, may be the way to go just to keep it safe in case something happens to the company itself. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna have to be a hybrid solution, just like we're basically landed with your data centers for your company. And I think that that's why Microsoft's involvement is that's why they're getting involved because they can say, hey, we have Microsoft Azure, uh, we have. Uh, chat GPT, open AI technology that you can tap into, but you can also put it on your specific instance of Azure, of your specific cloud instance. It can only have access to your internal documents and only be trained on your own data. So they're trying to have it both ways. And I, you know, I think that's a reasonable approach. My particular love of using some of these tools are the ones that specifically get access to my information so that it knows my life better than anything else. So it can create things that are relevant to me. Um, but running these things on a local computer, I'm running it on a Mac Pro, uh, MacBook Pro is not, <laughs> I'm probably using a lot more electricity and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated to run. And so I think that it's, uh, it's a long path for somebody who wants to do it, like you said, only if you're Jose, Jose here at Decrypt, who does some of the best how to, um, you know, tutorials on how to run these things on your local computer. It, it's probably child's play for him, but not for us. Yeah, I can't. My computer does not do well with the LLMs. And uh, I built mine, and it still doesn't do very well. <laughs> so I'm going to leave that to Jose. Ah, we got a we got a, a happy clap from Jose in the audience. Um, we always we always ask him to uh, to join us on these, and I think in a future show we will have him as a panelist. But he's very shy. He he knows that his charming charming voice is going to just sort of make everybody swoon and pass out, and we don't want to do that to our audience right out of the gate. Well, I think we basically covered the big news of AI uh, for since our last Twitter Spaces slash podcast. This is going to be a podcast after all. Um, is there anything else, Jason, not related to that, that you were tracking or was your son basically blotted out by all of this? Well, yeah, it's usually blotted out by all of this. But uh, one more thing. Um, another thing Jose reported is uh, GPT-5 is on OpenAI's roadmap. 
So that's supposed to be the version of ChatGPT that puts us at at least near artificial general general intelligence. So that's going to be very interesting when they finally roll that out because we saw how big of a jump in adoption and usage AI had after GPT 3.5 and GPT 4 came out earlier this year. So GPT 5 is going to be a very interesting time. It's really funny that uh, right before, again, all of this chaos, you know, chat GPT 4, when it came out, is what scared everybody to write those public letters. And at the time, Sam Altman was like, okay, well, don't worry, we're going to just make GPT 4 better. Don't worry about GPT 5, totally not on our roadmap. And then, you know, a week ago, it was like, yep, totally on our roadmap. Not that anybody was surprised by that. But uh, it did remind me that one of my favorite conspiracy theories about what happened at OpenAI was that they apparently or reportedly or allegedly or rumored got so close to AGI or the singularity that everybody got spooked. And that's why the coup happened. I guess that wasn't the case, but that was an interesting theory. Speaking of um, Jose's great reporting, though, in addition to GPT-5 being on the roadmap, we just got uh, Claude AI from Anthropic um, 2.1 yesterday. And actually, that's a pretty significant upgrade, too. 200,000 tokens of uh, context. That's 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 several <laughs> uh, books, several pieces of large data that you can now put into a thread and query it with your uh, with your AI prompts. So things keep moving even as all of this madness is going on. And I think that leads to your to your question before I went back to GPT five. Uh, we're having a conversation, at least a broader conversation about. Uh, training AI models and fair use. Uh, for example, you've had people leaving Stability AI, the creators of Stable Diffusion, over issues that they have with the company's use of the term fair use. I interviewed uh, N uh, Newton Fox, who was the he posted on Twitter uh, last week that he was leaving for that reason, and I spoke to him again, and. You know, it, it's a very interesting uh, topic and discussion because the internet already has a lot of information that's considered free. That's one reason why people love it, is that you can go to some of these websites like the uh, Internet Archive or the, uh, what I think is the Guggenheim uh, engine, that you can search all these books and documents for free and they're free to download and free to read. Uh, websites like Scribe, you can listen to any uh, uh, this the audiobooks that you might either have to otherwise pay for, and Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the dictionary or encyclopedia of the internet. It's open source that you can technically use that content. So uh, I so the question be what became okay. So since you have all of that, why are you using people's private like like copyrighted stuff and things like that? when that's where the whole issue of fair use came up. But fair use isn't, I can just use your book. You know, if, if, if Ryan wrote, if you wrote a book and it was AI for super geniuses or something like that, and then I took that book and fed it into my large language model. And so now my language model can crank out information based on your book. That's basically stealing. If I did that in any other other context, that's what I would be. That's what I would be accused of. So you have these companies talking about fair use. 
Well, fair use in most terms is like, okay, you wrote a book. I'm going to review your book. I'm going to put a snippet of your book in the review. That's fair use under most circumstances. Not taking the whole book and then running it through my thing. It, that, and so you had a, a divide in these companies right now over that topic because, of course, these companies are getting this information from somewhere. Some of it's licensed. Probably most of it isn't. And that's why you're starting to see these lawsuits pop up from these different artists, artists and writers. Well, you've been covering this from the very beginning, talking to people who say, you know, uh, people are taking books off of Kindle and Amazon, running it through AI, rewriting the whole thing and putting it back onto, <laughs> onto the Kindle marketplace. And it, it does raise the biggest issue about the fair use defense, um, which I think is one of the points raised by uh, your source in that story from Stability AI, which is the key reason that its concern is of its concern is if it impacts the marketability of the original product. So if your book based on my book makes my book less commercially successful, that's a problem, right? And I think that's what I thought was really interesting about your interview about the music side, which is, uh, you know, defenders of the approach will say, well, everybody listens to music and then creates music out of their head that sort of like that music. And I mean, that's totally what humans do. That's music since the beginning of time. Why is it bad that technology can do it? And that's certainly a reasonable question. But the other question is, if the ability to make this music easily using AI makes it impossible to make a living as a musician, then you might be more worried. Right, exactly. And you know, it, it goes back to the fear of being replaced by machines, right? Um, but just like how we discussed in the past about journalism, you know, a lot of people thought that AI will replace journalists. Well, the one thing that AI can't do, at least right now, until they put it in some robot like Hanson uh, <laughs> Robotics, uh, it can't talk to people and it can't get real world stories from people, it can only regurgitate what it knows from what it's been fed and what's, what it's scraped. So you have that edge. There's the human connection part that AI cannot replicate. And I think that's where people can rest easy that their jobs are safe, at least for the foreseeable future. Oh my, Jason, I can't believe you went there. Of course, the, the, the extension of that is yet. I mean, Google already calls every business in its directory and asks them as a human over the phone what their hours are in order to update the hours on the Google website. The people who answer that phone may or may not know they're talking to a robot, but trust me, we are not that far off from robots being assigned to cover a story about um, some human interest story and doing a very compassionate interview with a source who has no idea they're not talking to a human being. But, but oh I my think, gosh. I think it, <laughs> well, I guess it depends on how savvy the person on the other end of the phone is. Because a lot of times you can tell you're talking to a chatbot based on how it doesn't change its tone while it's talking to you. Most people try to avoid sounding robotic on the phone. It, it's a part of customer service. Don't sound monotone, don't sound robotic. Now you do have these models coming out that are supposed to be natural sounding. That's what a lot of people are working on right now. But it's still different than like the conversation we're having right now. It's lively. It, it's, you can hear that I have a cold. You know, that, <laughs> that's the realness of talking to a person. 
And I'm going to tell you again that we are not far off from that being easily replicated. I'm playing with 11 labs. There, I've been refining a uh, model of my voice that sounds, every time they update that software, sounds more and more like me, more and more natural, taking breath breaks like that, you know, getting excited, speeding up, slowing down. Uh, I'm certain that there's a button that can say, I have a slight cold and suddenly it does that. But this is all in the future for sure. I'm just saying that the, when you used to say you could tell it was a phishing email because the English was bad, well, that's no longer a problem anymore. Uh, so, well, still, in, still in uh-oh. <laughs> you're going to have your biggest users of the technology you just mentioned is going to be cyber criminals because there's no need for that in a legitimate scenario. There's no need to fake this is a human in a legitimate scenario. I disagree. If you don't want to, uh, to, to pay a, an army of customer service agents, you don't want to pay an army of reporters and writers, I would make the investment to do a very realistic, compassionate sounding, natural sounding AI agent. Okay, mm. that, that's fine. But now you're tricking your customers and they're not going to be too happy about that when they find out. But they don't find out because they can't tell. And eventually this will all be seamless. No, someone will tell because that's a great way to make a, make a story. Someone's going to leak it to one of us that this company is using AI to undermine its employees and <laughs> it's going to be all over the internet. All right. Well, we're going to have to put a pin in this, Jason. We'll check in in two years to see how these uh, predictions have borne out. This was a fun conversation. 99% of course about OpenAI, Sam Altman and board intrigue with Microsoft. Um, may it continue to be an interesting week ahead. Please check out Emerge, the emerging technology section of Decrypt at decrypt.co for great coverage by Jason and by Jose about these technologies that are disrupting and enhancing businesses and technologies all around the world every single day. Um, I'm going to say goodbye and Jason, you can let us go. All right, everybody, thank you for joining us on another episode of Decrypting AI. As Ryan said, you can follow for more on decrypt.co, and we'll see you next week.